Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. How y'all doing? Good. Well, my name is Heather Taves, for those of you who don't know me, and I get the incredible privilege of helping lead this church, but also just being here every single week with each one of you, and it's such a joy and an honor to be able to come into his presence and know that I'm going to be with a group of people who are also desperate for him, and that is, uh, that's a gift. I hope none of us take that for granted. Um, how many of you have loved this series, Rhythms? Awesome. Yes. We've had more feedback on this series than maybe any other series we've ever had. And I think it's because it's been so practical. It's been, it's been easy to walk away and say, that's what I need to do with my life. So if you have missed any of them, I would strongly encourage you. I know we say this all the time, but we actually mean it. Um, go back to the podcast and listen to them. Uh, Chris started us off talking about the rhythm of sleep. This one was incredible, and I have found myself now, as I fall asleep, um, meditating on Scripture, and it really has. It has helped me sleep, especially when Chris travels. Sometimes I have a hard time sleeping, and that has helped me so much. And then Heidi talked to us about feasting and fasting, and, you know, we were pretty intentional about who we had around our table before that, but it caused us to even be more intentional about feasting with one another. And then Rochelle might have been my favorite one, um, even though it hurt the most. This was the one where she talked about our thoughts. And I love this. She said, when your thoughts start spiraling, does anybody know what that feels like? It's a sign that your mind needs to be renewed. What a great tool. As soon as your thoughts start going down that spiral, it's a, it's a reminder, like a big old flashing sign to say, oh, that's the devil. It's time for my mind to be renewed. And then Tony. Tony gave us such an incredible and simple but valuable perspective on our finances and the rhythm of how we spend our money. It was so good. And then last week, Ryan, in his typical hilarious Ryan self, he reminded us that how we spend our time shows what we value. And that any time spent with Jesus is never wasted. But I would like to suggest, while all of those were incredible, I would like to suggest that this rhythm today is actually the baseline for all other rhythms. And maybe we should have started with it, but I would like to think of it more as like a punctuation, like an exclamation point at the end of the series. This week's rhythm is called How to Read Your Bible. Now, I know some of you, when you hear me say that, you are anticipating like, oh, like this one, I'm not sure about this. Because to you, reading your Bible makes you feel a little nervous. It's overwhelming. You don't know where to start. You don't do it. So you're feeling guilty about that. You're feeling shame. And that is not at all what God intended for his word to be to you. So I hope that today I get to change your perspective a little bit on what it means to read your Bible. I want you to know that you do not have to be a Bible scholar. You do not have to have gone to seminary. You can have never even read this to be able to get a word from God from his word. 
So I want to change how you view your Bible. Okay, I want you to put a picture right now in your mind of when I say Bible, think about what comes to your mind. Some of you see it as just an old, outdated book with a bunch of rules that you don't understand and things that don't make sense and contradictions. To some of you, you think of like David and Goliath and Noah's Ark and all the Bible stories that you might have heard when you were kids on a flannel graph, if you're my age. And if you're younger than me, Veggie Tales. But I want us to switch our perspective from seeing it as just a book. And I want us to start to see it as a love letter. Years ago when Chris and I were dating, he would write me the most beautiful love letters. I won't read them to you because you would be so embarrassed. (laughs) But I have a box full of, like you guys, I'm talking hundreds, hundreds of love letters. He would pour his heart out to me. He's very poetic and emotional, and I am not. And it was beautiful and a little over the top sometimes. But he would tell me all these things that he liked about me. You did get the girl. And then he would remind me in his love letters to me why he chose me. And I think that that's what the Bible is to us. It's God's love letter to us. We see it as a rule book, and it's not. It's God's love letter to us. It's him giving us something to hold on to, to remind ourselves why he chose us and why we chose him. So the next time you crack open your Bible or your Bible app, I want you to do this. I want you to actually thank God for his love letter to you. I want you to begin to create a new neural pathway in your brain. I want you to no longer look at this as a book of rules that's hard to understand. I want you to look at it as God's love letter to you. And you know what happens when you do this? It changes how you read it. I think many of us would say, yeah, I want to know God more. I really do. But we aren't creating the rhythm in our life to actually get to know him better. If you have a friend and you never go out to lunch with them and you never sit across from them and you never look in their eyes and you never look them face to face and say, how are you? Tell me about you. Tell me your story. You will never get to know that person. You will not be in the rhythm of relationship with that person. And it is the same with our God. When we are reading his love letter to us, we are leaving that relationship with him in the dark. Psalm 27, 8 says this. My heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. That's God saying that. Come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. I don't think that you can say, I love Jesus, and ignore his words to you. I don't think you can do that. Um, my son Bennett is going to come up here and help me with something really quick. Give him a hand. He's so cute. I think most of us are putting so little effort into reading our Bibles, and this is not meant to guilt you. This is just 
let's just have a straight up conversation, okay? Most of us are putting so little effort into reading God's word, we're treating it like a snack. Bennett, I want you to go out there. This is a Lunchable um, Ham and American Cracker Stackers. I want you to go out there, and I want you to find someone that looks really, like, sort of hungry. Just sort of hungry. See, I think that we are snacking on God's word instead of feasting on God's word. We're treating the Bible like a Lunchable. Here's the thing about a Lunchable. It's just enough to ward off starvation. If you have a Lunchable, you're not going to starve. But Lunchables do not provide you nutrients or hardly any nutrients. Lunchables are not going to improve your health. In fact, they'll probably, if you eat them long enough, deteriorate your health. And when was the last time that you had someone over to your house at your nice table and you're like, we're going to have Lunchables. Lunchables don't promote intimate relation, relationship and fellowship with one another, let alone with God. So, Bennett, now I would like for you to go find someone who looks really hungry. And I want you to give them this. That is a $75 gift card to Jim's Bistro. Yeah, now you're all happy. You give people free stuff and they freak out. Oh. Mama needs her food. Here's what happens when you sit down at a feast, when you go to Jim's Bistro and they cook you up a big steak and some good vegetables and some rolls with some butter. It fills you up. And it provides nutrition. Your body is like, yes, this is what I was waiting for. You've been feeding me Lunchables for five weeks. I've been waiting for a steak and some broccoli. And when you feast on good food, it improves your health. Your body gets healthier. Your eyesight gets better. Your gut heals. Your muscles are strong. You have energy. And it allows for feasting with other people. It promotes intimate relationship, which isn't that what we all long for? To sit across from people and have intimate relationship and fellowship with people and with God? So it's time to stop snacking, and it's time to start feasting. But I think that many of us are choosing the Lunchable day after day after day and thinking that it's providing the nourishment that we need. So we click on our Bible app, or even easier, we get a text sent to us with the verse of the day, and we open it up, and we're like, huh, good text or good verse. And we close it, and that's it. And we say, we just got fed the word of God. And we call it good enough. And while I believe that one verse can change us, for sure, it is not enough to sustain us, and it is not enough to grow us. And too many of us are settling for the Lunchable when we have a feast available to us every single day. So what does reading scripture actually do to benefit us? Why do it? Why open this book? I'm going to give you four things. There are tons more, but I had to narrow it down. Um, 
to what I felt like the Holy Spirit was leading for us today. Number one, scripture brings us into closer relationship with our Heavenly Father. The goal isn't just to read this. That's not the end goal. The goal is that as we read it, we become more acquainted with the one who longs for fellowship with us. Listen, it's a two-way conversation. God wrote us this love letter. He wrote it for us. It's his inspired word. And as we read it, we're reading the words. When I read Chris's love letters, it wasn't just me reading them. It was him pouring his heart out to me and me reading it and receiving it. Reading scripture doesn't just satisfy us. Listen, it satisfies him too. It's a two-way conversation. Oswald Chambers said this, and I loved it. Jesus says, give me a drink. How many of us are set upon Jesus Christ slaking our thirst when we ought to be satisfying him? We make it all about us. God, what are you going to speak to me? What am I going to hear? What am I going to feel? What am I going to get from this when it really should also be about satisfying him? So you read for you and you read for him. Last week, my mom, my son said, hey, mom, could we take grandma a caramel frappuccino to show her that we love her? See, because he knew that his grandma loved caramel frappuccinos and that maybe she could use a little extra love that day. And so he did. He brought it to her, and it brought him so much joy to give her that frappuccino and show his love for her, and it brought her joy to receive it and to feel the love that he was showing. It's the same way. When we read our Bibles, we become more acquainted with the one who created us. Number two, reading scripture teaches us what is true and helps us realize what is wrong with our lives. Now, I know most of us would probably say, there's nothing wrong with our lives. We're good. (laughs) But we all know that that is not true. We all have struggle. We all have sins. We all have things that we need corrected and helped through in our lives. Second Timothy says this. I'm going to skip down halfway through that passage. All scripture is inspired by God. We're going to go back to that. So remember that phrase. And is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So it's all these things. It teaches us what is right and wrong. It corrects us. That one's hard for me. But Proverbs says, learn to love correction. The wise love correction. I am not there yet. I still hate it. But that's one of the things scripture does for us. It teaches us. It prepares us for anything that we're going to walk through in life. And it equips us. Those are all things that we need in our lives. Every single one of those things. And I want those things. And we have it in front of us. We have this feast in front of us. And this feast provides all of those things for us. We just have to partake in it. When you read scripture, and I believe this with my whole heart, you find out what God says about you, not what your circumstances are saying about you. Number three, reading scripture changes the atmosphere of your heart, mind, and attitudes. This is my favorite one. 
This week I was helping our daughter Jules with her piano, which, don't tell her this, is my least favorite thing to do. And I was, I'm not being mean, it's just difficult. I was getting extremely frustrated with her. I was short-fused, and I was expecting her to know things that she hadn't mastered yet. And I snapped at her. And I said, Jules, you need to be better, and you need to have a better attitude. I was actually the one with the terrible attitude. And I made her cry. And the hardest thing is that um, she felt failure, and she felt my disapproval. And that's been something I've struggled with my whole life, is the need for approval from people And so I was projecting onto her my insecurity. But my point is this. She had gone down early. My kids are at home for school. And she had gone down early and started practicing piano. And I had followed her. And then I was helping her. Uh, And thankfully, on most days, we start every day with reading God's word first. We hadn't started with that first. We had started with piano. Never doing that again. Um, And thankfully, we read our Bible next. So we spent the next 15 minutes reading through one of the Proverbs. And as we read it, the Holy Spirit began to convict me so much about how I had treated and responded to Jules. And I knew that my only response could be to repent, to ask her forgiveness, to tell her that I was sorry. Now, I want you to understand, it wasn't any one particular verse that said, like, don't yell at your daughter be kind. It wasn't, it wasn't any one particular verse. It was just being in God's word. It was just taking the time to stop and be in his word and read his love letter to us. And it began to change the atmosphere of my heart. And it began to change the atmosphere of my attitude. Here's the thing. When you put scripture in you, it changes what comes out of you. Getting in God's word changes the atmosphere of all parts of you. Ephesians 3.20 through 24 says this, Since you have heard about Jesus and you have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. When you read scripture and you listen to the promptings of the Holy Spirit, it takes both. It can change the attitude that you have in the atmosphere around you. Number four, when you read scripture, you will be blessed. Ryan said it last week, time with Jesus is never wasted. You know those times when you go out with someone or you spend some time with someone and you walk away and you're like, well, that was a waste of time. I've never, ever, ever felt that with Jesus. Not one time. Not one time have I closed my Bible and been like, well, that was a waste of time. Revelation 1.3 says, God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. Do you see that? God blesses the one who reads the words. And he blesses all who listen to its message and obey what it says, for the time is near. You will be blessed. Say, I will be blessed. blessed. Say it again like you mean it. I will be blessed. blessed. You don't believe it yet. 
So that's why you read the Bible. And I know some of you smart Alex are like, but you said this was how to read the Bible. So we're getting to that. Um, I would really encourage you for this next part to write these things down. Because if you're anything like me, as soon as you walk out of these doors thinking about what you're going to get for lunch or the Packers game or Bears game or whatever else, I don't even know if the Bears are playing, but um, you're going to forget everything I said. So write them down, take out Evernote, screen, take pictures of the screen. Yes, there are 12 things. But we're going to go super speed, okay? You know when you turn on a podcast and you hit one and a half, two times, and then the people talk really fast and you can't actually really hear what they're saying, but you've listened to a podcast and yay, check it off. Which I don't understand because I'm a podcaster and I don't know why you would ever need to speed up my voice to go any faster, I think I talk plenty fast, but many of you say, I listen to you on one and a half speed, and then I'm like, great. So they always hear me talk like this really fast, and I sound like a robot, but whatever. Now, this is not an all-encompassing list, okay? These are just 12 things that I believe, if you implement one or two of these, will help you read your Bible better. Number one, it starts as a discipline and becomes a desire. You need both discipline and desire. I know a lot of you in here right now maybe don't have the desire to read your Bible. You don't wake up and say, I can't wait to read my Bible. That is okay. It starts as a discipline. With anything that you first start learning, it requires discipline every single day to learn it. When you first start playing the piano, you know, it's not a lot of fun. Like, Mary Had a Little Lamb is not a passionate song. I, I don't know why anyone wanted to write a song about Mary and her lamb, but Mary had a little lamb. Like, it's just, that doesn't make you want to go back and practice your piano more, right? But you do it as a discipline until it becomes a desire. Because then, one day, you end up like, Phil down here on the front row, and he has a desire to pick up his musical instrument and play it. He can't wait to play it because it has become a desire. And if you tried to take it away from him, he'd be like, nope, nope, that's mine. Don't you dare take that from me. That is life. I got you. Here's the thing. When you start going to the gym consistently, right, it takes discipline because gyms suck. And I hate working out, and I don't see any results ever <laughs> until the discipline all of a sudden turns into a desire. And I'm like, oh, I can't not go to the gym. I'm not there right now, but like I was a year ago. Like, I can't not go to the gym. I have to go to the gym. I promise you, it is the exact same thing with reading your Bible. That's exactly how it works. You start doing it every day as a discipline until you realize that you cannot wait to do it every single day. And it has become a desire. That is when you are feasting. Let me warn you, though. Once it becomes a desire, there are going to be times when the desire goes away. And that's when discipline kicks back in until it once again becomes a desire. There are going to be times when you feel like you're in the dark in the wilderness or you're mad at God and you're like, I'm not reading your love letter. 
trust me, there were days when I didn't want to read his love letters either. Sorry. Yeah. But, but the discipline takes you back to the desire. It takes both, working hand in hand. Number two. This is actually number two with like five subpoints. So, um, listen. Number two, get a Bible that fits you. Get a Bible that fits you. Don't just pull the old, dusty, family, giant Bible. I mean, I do like big Bibles. But don't get the big Bible off of the shelf that has no personal attachment to you. Go find a Bible with the size that you like and the font that you like. My very first Bible, I mean, literally, the font is so tiny that I would need a magnifying glass to, to read it. But I was like eight when I got this Bible, so that was okay. Now, I want bigger font. So get one that fits you. Listen, there are tons and tons of Bibles out there. Um, there are study Bibles that give you extra commentary for you people that like, like me, like you're kind of Bible nerd and you want to know all the extra stuff. There are Bibles that are geared towards women. There's a, an amazing organization called She Reads Truth, and they have these beautifully illustrated Bibles geared towards women specifically. I actually think there's actually a He Reads Truth Bible now, probably wouldn't be flowery and pink, probably be like camo and, I don't know, guns or something, <laughs> yeah, or swords or some sort of weapon. Um, there are student Bibles with people's young stories in them. There's the Bible app on your phone, which my husband uses most of the time, and he likes it because he can switch back and forth in between translations. So find a Bible that you like. You'll be more likely, it's like when you go to the gym and you have workout clothes that you like. Like you're more likely to go if you know you're going to look cute. <laughs> or maybe not. Next, find a translation that you like. There are lots of translations. And we could go on a whole long talk about this, about which ones are heresy and which ones aren't. And we're not going to do that because that's not not going to profit any of us anything. I want to give you the top three that I really like that I use. Um, this one that I read from every day is New Living Translation. This one is a very, very, I see you, Pat, a very easy to understand language. And I would suggest if you don't have a Bible right now or you're wanting to get a new one, this would be a great place to start. New Living Translation. The next one is called The Passion, and it's actually a newer translation. And Chris specifically likes this one a whole bunch because it's very poetic. It has beautiful words, and um, it's not completely printed yet, though. Only the, old, the New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs, I believe, have been translated, and so they're still working on the Old Testament. The next one is the message. I actually have friends who, went, when they started reading the message translation, they said the Bible came alive to them. This one is a very modern language, um, very easy to understand. So those would be three. There's lots more. If you have questions about any of them, um, any one of us would be happy to answer any questions you have that, that we are able. The next point, sub-point, is don't be scared to mark it all up. This, there's nothing sacred about the pages or the actual book. You are allowed to mark up your Bible. You are allowed to write in it. 
I take all sorts of notes in my Bible. I, I write down thoughts. In this one, go back to that last picture. In this one, I was asking God a question because this is a story about Samson. And then it says something about, I can't read that because I'm old, but something about his wife was given to marriage to another man who had been Samson's best man at his wedding. And I went, what in the world? Like I wrote that down in my Bible. Like, God, I, I don't understand that. That doesn't make sense to me. So don't be afraid to write down your questions to God, too. And then the next one, write dates in it. When God shows you something or, or, or does something for you, like you can see in this one, I have 11-2017, car repair and Gale House. That was a time where we were under some financial stress, and we needed, we needed God's provision. And he had I'd read those verses. He had given me those verses as a promise that he would be faithful to us. So I just wrote that down. And now when I flip back through that, I see, oh, remember God's faithfulness to me? Remember to us? Remember when he provided for our finances in that season? The next one is color code your Bible. This is, um, there are lots and lots of different ways to do this. You can Google it and find out all different types of ways to color code your Bible. This is especially fun, fun if you're ADD and you just get really distracted, you can color your Bible. Um, I like to just use colored pens, and believe it or not, a yellow colored pencil or a crayon works really well in your Bible. So highlight the things that stand out to you. Um, this is an awesome one. Every few years, get a new Bible. I hold on to my old Bibles because they, come, they become like life journals. I have notes and notes and notes in this one. It's so marked up and it's so full. And in a couple years, I'm going to get a new one and I'm going to start over because I want new perspective. I want new insight. I don't want to just get stuck on the word God gave me five years ago or the thing that stood out to me five years ago. I want a new word. So, but I keep this because it's like a journal. You can go back. This one I got in 1986, 1986 for my mom and dad. And it's got notes in it from when I was a kid. This one, I got when I was a teenager. This one, I got a few years ago when Church 214 started. So these are life journals now that I will hold on to for as long as I can to be, to be able to go back and see how good God is to me. Number three, ask. This is the most important one. If you don't do anything else, do this. When you open your Bible to read, ask the Holy Spirit to give you insight. We can open this up and we can say, okay, I read my Bible. But that is not the point. The point is God's word and the direction and the instruction and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. So before you read it, say, Holy Spirit, what do you want me to see in this today? What do you have for me to pull up out of these passages? Make them jump off the page. Ask him. Ask him to do it. Proverbs 2, 3 says, cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Number four, read the same passage until you get something. Read it and read it again. And keep reading it and keep reading it until you get something. All scripture is profitable and inspired by God. 
I have stayed in one passage or one chapter of a, or a book for months at a time. Don't overlook something just because you don't get it the first time or because you don't understand it. Don't be afraid of verses or books that you don't understand. Listen, don't skip over books you think are irrelevant. They are still God's inspired word, and he put it in his love letter to us for a reason. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you something, and he will. I hear it a lot. People say, I just don't read the Old Testament that much. I mean, it's old law, and it's just too confusing to me. Listen, the Old Testament is the lead-up to Jesus. The Old Testament is the lead-up to your freedom. I've been in the first five books of the Old Testament for nine months now. And you want to know what my favorite books have been? Numbers and Deuteronomy. And both of those books were books that previously I had skipped over because they didn't make a lot of sense to me and they just were boring. But God challenged me to read until I got something. And now Deuteronomy is full of insight that God gave me. So don't skip it just because you don't get it the first time. Number five, journal anything that stands out to you. This is my journal from this year, and it is an um, inspiration from Scripture and words from God journal. That's all I put in here. So when I'm reading my Bible, if anything stands out, I write it down. Here's the thing. It might be for you. It might be for someone else. It might be for right now or it might be for later. But when you write it down, you've got it and you can go back and see. I want to give you some examples of this. I think there are uh, a few ways that God uses this in our lives. Sometimes God gives us something for someone else. This first one is a word that God gave me for this church, for Church 214. And so I wrote the date there. I wrote who it was for. And um, I'm not even sure when that was. But as I was flipping through my Bible, I was like, oh, that was a word God gave me for our church. The second one is a word from Deuteronomy that God gave me for me. See, it says, rather, it was simply that the Lord loves you. And that day I needed to hear that. I needed to hear that the Lord loved me. And that jumped off of the page and I wrote, he loves me. That one was for me. Sometimes God will give me something from scripture that is for someone else. And I'll put their names in my Bible. Some of your names are in my Bible. And I love that so much because every time I flip open and I see your name, I'm reminded to pray for you. And I'm reminded how much I love you. When that happens, when God gives you a word, ask the Holy Spirit, but then text that person and say, I was reading and God gave me this passage for you. You may not even understand what it's about or why it's for them, but they will know. And then I also believe that God uses scripture um, to help us live in victory. We say, God gives us all these tools, right, to live daily, to fight our battles. And sometimes it's like, yeah, but what are the tools? And I think we find them in Scripture. Here's an example. In 1 Samuel, the Israelites had been fighting their enemies, and the Ark of the Covenant, which is where the presence of God was residing, uh, where the Ten Commandments were, had been taken by their enemies, 
and it was coming back into the Israelite camp. When all the Israelites saw the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord coming into the camp, their shout of joy was so loud, it made the ground shake. What's going on, the Philistines asked. The Philistines were their enemies. What is all the shouting about in the Hebrew camp? When they were told it was because the Ark of the Lord had arrived, they panicked. Here's what I heard when I read that. When we praise God, the enemy panics. So instead of just being an outdated old story about some people we can't relate to that much, it becomes a tool that we have in our bag to defeat the enemy. Number two, 1 Samuel 17. I was reading the classic story of David and Goliath. I'd never seen this before. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. This reminded me that when I face a trial or hardship in my life, instead of curling into a fetal position and crying, I quickly run to face it because God has already given me everything I need to face that giant in my life. So we have these tools that God gives us when we read our Bibles, when we ask him to download what he's saying to us. But write it down so that you can go back and you can remember his promises and his faithfulness when things are dark and when you've forgotten. Number six, find the best time for you and make it a part of your daily routine. Don't just squeeze it in where it might fit sometimes and it might not. Give him the best time of your day. For me, it's first thing in the morning. I prefer to be outside if I can, if the weather allows. But for some of you, it's at work when you sit down at your desk. For some of you, it's in the car when you're driving. For some of you, it's before you go to bed. Listen, this is not a legalistic thing. I'm not going to say you have to read your Bible the moment your eyes pop open. You find your best time to meet with Jesus. And then you do it. And you begin that discipline every single day. Number seven, ask a friend to read alongside you. Sometimes, you know, when we go to the gym, you know why I quit going? Because my accountability partner quit going. Sorry, Holly, she had a baby. It's all right. I'll forgive you. But sometimes we need a little extra accountability, and that is okay. Just agree to read the same passages every day and then check in on one another. Hey, did you read your Bible today? Awesome. Did you get anything from it? Nope. Okay, go read it again. Number eight. I love this one. Read a Proverbs a day and include your kids in on this. The book of Proverbs was written by King Solomon who asked God for wisdom. God gave him amazing, incredible wisdom, and he wrote a book about it called Proverbs. And it is full. I'm talking full of very practical things that you can apply to your day every single day. Now, the cool thing about Proverbs is there are 31 chapters. So you can read one chapter every day of the month, and you can get through it 12 times in a year, which is awesome. So you just read the chapter that lines up with the date. So if it's Proverbs, if it's September 6th, you read Proverbs 6. Now, don't skip out on the uncomfortable passages. I mean, there was, you know... Avoid the immoral woman passage chapter. Reading that with your 12-year-old son's special. <laughs> but here's what it does. It facilitates really amazing conversation with both yourself and with your kids. 
If you do nothing else in reading your Bible, do that, and it will transform your life. I promise you. It will change you. Number nine, use the Bible app audio. We have this amazing technology now, a Bible on our phones, a Bible in every language we could imagine, and you can actually hit the play button down at the bottom when you pull up a passage, and it will read it to you, and you just listen. It's incredible. In any translation, I think you can choose if you want what kind of voice you want. My daughter likes a British accent, so you might want to watch out for that. Um, but you can just let it play, and you can listen to it, and it will also change the atmosphere of your home and your heart as it plays. I do want to give you one caution on this, though, okay? Reading the Bible is not just about getting through as much scripture as you possibly can. It's about being quiet with Jesus. It's about being in his word to be quiet and listen to his voice. So if this is your method of reading the Bible, and this is phenomenal, every now and then just hit pause and listen for what he's saying. Number 10, find a reading plan. Don't let, and I've heard it from a lot of you and from a lot of people, I just don't know what to read. Don't let that stop you. There are tons of reading plans on the Bible app, which is on your app store. It's called YouVersion, and it looks like a little Bible. It says Bible under it. You can type in any word in the search, and it will bring up a, a Bible reading plan. Start there. It's a really, really great way to find things that are applicable to what's going on in your life right then. I absolutely love, um, I'm doing a chronological reading this year where I'm reading through the Bible chronologically. It's actually not in chronological order, if you didn't know that. Genesis to Revelation, it is, it is uh, mixed up on the historic timeline of how things actually happened. So when you read it chronologically, you get context. Let me show you this. This is so cool. I was reading in 1 Chronicles 16. And it's talking about how David was appointing the Levites to be the worshipers around the Ark of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant. And he was giving them all these, these different jobs. They were supposed to play the cymbals. They were, um, that would be Tony playing the cymbals. They were playing the harp. I don't think we have a harp player. Um, they were playing trumpets. That's, I guess, they would probably be playing electric guitar if they have them. But they didn't have them. But they were playing all these instruments around the Ark of the Covenant, around the Ark of the Lord. And then the very next chapter in my Bible says, go read Psalm 22. So I go read Psalm 22, which was written by David, who had just instructed the Levites to play worship around the Ark of the Lord. And this is what verse 3 says. Yet you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. David was writing it as he was experiencing what was happening with the Levites praising around the Ark of the Covenant. When we read that without context, we're like, cool verse. When we read it in context, we're like, oh, and we get a picture of what was happening. We see the Levites praising, and we see David writing this passionate verse about the praises of Israel going up and surrounding the Ark of the Covenant where the Lord's presence was residing. Is that cool? When you read with context, you understand it makes a lot more sense. So you say, well, how do I know what context is? Well, chronological reading will help a lot with that. 
But there are also lots of resources that you can use to help you understand. These are some, some easy ones I'm going to give you real quick. The blueletterbible.com. This is really great for understanding original text or original meaning. The Bible was written in Hebrew and Greek. And sometimes when it's translated into English, the words might lose a little bit of their oomph in the meaning of them. So all you have to do is put in a verse. You can click on the number that's next to the verse, and it will show you the original Hebrew or Greek word and what it means. That's a really cool thing to begin to understand. Also, the next one is Hallie's Bible Handbook. My grandpa gave this to me, and it's one of my favorite Bible helps. It's very simple to understand. It's laid out very easily. Anyone can understand this. I highly recommend getting this one and reading it alongside of whatever you're reading in God's Word. Um, my good friend, friends, two of them use this down in the front row, the Schaefer boys. They use the Archaeological Study Bible. This is for real Bible nerds. Um, I'm going to borrow it someday when you take your tight grip off of it. Um, <laughs> this is a really awesome one if you want to understand a lot of the history of the Bible. Um, and then there are countless Bible studies. The one that I have up here is called Seamless. This is one I've gone through, so that's why I put it up there. It's a very simple explanation of the Bible timeline from beginning to end. The church owns that, and so if you're interested in going through that, see me, and you can definitely use that. The next one is called Logos. This is one I don't have yet, but I am desperate to have this. I want it so badly, but it's really expensive. This is um, an incredible resource if you really want to dig in, especially if you're preaching or teaching or you want to write a Bible study or teach the Bible or you just want to get a lot more um, help in reading your Bible. Um, there are different plans. It is expensive. But if you want to invest in that, go get that and then tell me how it is. Okay, number 12, last one. Get your own word. Don't just eat regurgitated food. So many of us rely on revelations and words that God has given everyone else, and we never get a word for ourselves. Listen, podcasts and sermons and other people's insight are great, and we need them. But there is nothing like having God speak directly to you through his word. There's nothing like it. And when you get a taste of it, you want it over and over and over again, but it only happens when you're reading his word. Other people's revelations are only going to take you so far, but your own revelations will change your life. It's like hearing about someone's vacation or taking the vacation for yourself. There is a lot of tension in the Bible. There's a lot of things that seem to contradict each other. One verse says this, and the other verse says this, and then we're left going, but what is it? Is it this one, or is it that? But I think that tension is necessary. Imagine a guitar. Phil, can you come up here and show us your guitar? Phil's guitar has strings. And they have to have just the right amount of tension. Because if they didn't, if there was too little tension, he would not be able to play a sound, a nice sound or a rhythm 
that we could all sing to. But if there was too much tension, what would hap- happen, Flop? What would happen? They can either break or they'll, they'll also sound terrible. Okay. They would break or they would sound terrible, right? His guitar has to have the right amount of tension. And I heard someone say this recently. The reason that God did that in the Bible created those tensions was because he didn't intend for us just to live on principle. He intended for us to live in relationship with him. So we need both the principles of the Bible and the conviction in the words of the Holy Spirit as we're reading the Bible. It takes both. And that's why there's that tension there. Because there might be something that stands out to Kip and he feels that tension in this verse, but it doesn't create tension in my life. But it's because it's something that he needs and the Holy Spirit has given him in this season that he's in to transform his life. So it takes both the principles of Scripture and the relationship of the Holy Spirit to guide our lives. You know, the religious people who killed Jesus, they knew all of these Scriptures better than probably any of us. They had them memorized. Yet they did not have a relationship with Jesus. And I believe that's why God's love letter isn't black and white. Why there's a lot of gray in it. Some of you are like, man, I cannot believe you just said that. Really? Gray? I thought God's truth was God's truth. Yes, it is. But it's the tension that we have to live in as the Holy Spirit convicts us and causes us to walk the path that we are called to live. So don't get hung up on those tensions. I've lived my whole life having to fight one of those tensions in particular, which is that women are supposed to be silent in the church. And if I did that, if I got stuck and hung up on one verse, I would be completely disobeying what the Holy Spirit has called me to do with my life. You have to lean into both the Scripture and the revelation of the Holy Spirit and come into an understanding that the Holy Spirit will give you the direction that you need to follow. Listen, everybody in this room can apply something of this rhythm into their life today. Maybe you're not reading your Bible and it's simply just starting every single day to pick it up and read one Proverbs a day, one chapter a day. Maybe you've been reading the Bible a long time and it's time for you to go get yourself a new Bible. Start fresh. We all take care of our physical bodies, right? We feed ourselves. We sleep. We take our medication. We work out. We spend hours every single day, hours taking care of these bodies, which will only last if you live a long life, 70 to 90 years. We spend all this time caring for our physical bodies. And that's good. It's important. But what about our spiritual bodies? What about the part of us that's going to last for eternity? How are we thinking that a verse of the day is going to prepare us for an eternity with Jesus? How much are we actually investing in the part of us that will be around forever and ever? And I wonder if we put so much emphasis on our physical bodies and we've forsaken the most important part of us. I want you to let that sink in for a moment, and then I want you to have a time with the Holy Spirit for him to show you what it is in this rhythm that you need to change in your life.